Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. What's in your closet? <laughs> Today we're talking about Minute 75, which begins with Tony preparing his suit and ends with Natasha pulling herself free just in the nick of time. Back on the show, we have Curtis Finley from the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, Curtis. Hello, hello. Welcome. Uh, I'm glad to be here. And I almost <laughs> said welcome because I thought this was my podcast. I'm used to <laughs> welcoming my own guests. No, I am happy to be here again on this show, talking about yet another minute of Avengers. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. I have an opening question. May I May I have the floor? Please. This is an opening question for Curtis. Have you, do you have a favorite uh, weird place where Tony has built a bespoke cavern for his suit <laughs> that he brings with him across comic, film, whatever. Do you have a favorite? Because this always feels just like peak Tony. Like, I know S.H.I.E.L.D. has its own helicarrier. I'm going to go ahead and take some space and build my suit into it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, Tony does have a history of, of that for sure. I don't know if I have a favorite or an odd one. In the old days, he just always kept it in his briefcase. Yeah. He would just, it was like a, a very thin, pliable metal, and he would fold it up like clothing and keep it in his briefcase. <laughs> <laughs> That's Those were the days. Those were the days. Those were the days. Yeah. I, I think the briefcase suit is still is still one of my favorites of the early era, right? The yeah. Iron Man 2. When we get to see it on the track, I think it's, it is a, it, it's, it's one of my very favorite interpretations of, of oh, the yeah. portable suit. But but as we get into yeah, I, I'm one of those people who still delights in the, um, you know, the suit that that emerges around him, whether it's all separate pieces flying onto his body that we see later here or, you know, the nano suit, I think is is really fun. I, I might be an island on that for purists, but uh, uh, but I, I think it's really fun. This just always delights me this hero like top spotlight on like just just how cool tony thinks everybody thinks his suit should be they had to figure that out pretty quick <laughs> in the movies because in the comics you can have one panel where he is he's tony stark and then the very next panel he's suited up and ready to go but when you have yes. uh you know the the actual passage of time through film like this is a it takes a long time to put on a suit of armor. <laughs> so yeah, the, the, right. the nanotech coming around him was a, nece a necessity for when he's like, you know, falling through the air or he needs to get that on in an instant. And so they figure that out pretty quick. So yeah, it's interesting to see these old, the, the, like the first few movies where he does have his armor in a closet. He needs to put it on or yeah, the briefcase thing or whatever. It's a, it's still a little clunky. <laughs> Well, even in this film earlier, you know, when we first uh, see him arriving at Stark Tower, we see him having it removed with that fantastic, as they called it, the car wash and uh, the the whole robotic thing that he had built in the ramp to just slowly take it off piece by piece. And it's just it's a delight to think that he spends so much time thinking about specifically how to get the suit on and off. Like that is something <laughs> that he really spends 
a lot of time uh, dwelling over. And, uh, you know, it does make me wonder, like, we get a great reveal, of course, of the Mark VI um, suit here in this beautifully illuminated storage closet that he has here. But it does make me wonder, like, is there also a very handy way that he uses to kind of put it on and off here, as opposed to just kind of like putting it on piece by piece? Uh, you know, obviously, for the sake of an action sequence, we don't want to spend the time doing that. We just want to jump into the point where when we see him next, he's in it. Yeah, He's uh, in it, yeah. yeah. One panel he's not, next panel he is. There, there we <laughs> exactly. go. Exactly. There it is right there. In an alternate timeline, there is a battle where uh, the portion of the helicarrier has been destroyed and has cut power to this little room, and he cannot <laughs> access his armor. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Tony's totally useless in this entire segment. <laughs> That's, and then he spends the entire time just trying to figure out how do I get into this wrenching thing? the door open yeah. the <laughs> Henry that crowbar <laughs> I also just want to point out he is actually the second person on this particular ship on the helicarrier to have their own personally uh, illuminated suit storage area since we did see earlier that uh, Steve did have a little space for his <laughs> suit as well so it is interesting and I, I, I feel like part of it is Colson, obviously, in his fandom, wanting say. to build it that way. But I think part of it, like, especially as Tony's concerned, obviously, Colson wasn't involved in that. But I think that these are people who genuinely think that is a damn cool suit. And I want to make sure it's lit beautifully so that when people see it, when I open this for somebody else, it's not for me, it's for somebody else. I'm sure that's what they think. <laughs> I'm sure that's it, because what we didn't see, I'm sure it's in a deleted scene we haven't seen, is that actually Captain America's suit cove is actually colson's captain america fan cove and it's in his quarters like steve has to go to colson's room to get his own suit i'm sure that's what it is it reminds me of like uh the nba locker room uh, when the press goes yes. in and everybody's jerseys are hanging right there with their numbers facing <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's good for the cameras yep that's right <laughs> Um, all right, the Mark VI, um, I just uh, quick thoughts on this, because as Tony is walking in, he pulls out his phone and he taps his phone to, I guess, power his suit up. And I guess I, I just wanted to check it because I'm trying to remember Kyle and Rob were doing uh, the season three with Iron Man 2. Is his suit at this point self-powering and no longer powered up by his um, uh, his arc reactor in his chest? I believe so. I mean, I'm assuming so, because it powers itself up right here. Yeah. I was just trying to remember if we had actually seen this happen before. Well, I would imagine there's some sort of auxiliary power in the suit itself. But when you have to, like, actually use your repulsor rays and stuff like that, you would need the arc reactor. Because he still has the arc reactor in his chest. He doesn't get rid of that until Iron Man 3, right? Right. He goes through the surgery to, to deal with all that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing. I was just thinking about that. I'm like, you know, because he's powering it up. But yeah, maybe it's just it's, it's just, just the power that it needs to do to what it needs this, to do yeah, to to bring the systems online. Yeah, right, right, right. Wake Jarvis up. That little device that he's holding in at the beginning of this clip, the very first time I watched this minute for this podcast, I was like, what does it say on there? And I, I thought it said Coldplay. But it actually says deploy. <laughs> I thought this was his iPod. He's like, let's get some music going here. <laughs> he only works to Coldplay. Just to crank up a little fix you right here for the, you know, for the moment. Oh, oh I think so it's more appropriate, though. the scientist. 
<laughs> True. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Got to get. I mean, he is somebody who we've seen even in this film. He certainly likes having his tunes ready as, yep. as he's doing his work. So very funny. <laughs> Um, the bulk of this minute, I, you know, we go from Tony and kind of waking his suit up, we'll say. Uh, the bulk of this minute, though, we're going to be talking about um, this. Uh, we are in the uh, the lower equipment room where Natasha and Bruce had they'd been blown through the window when there was the explosion uh, that that hit them in the uh, the wishbone lab, knocking them out and down to a lower level. And this is uh, kind of where we spend the rest of this minute as, you know, Natasha is trying to figure out the situation where, you know, she is pinned. She's got her ankle pinned under this pipe that fell and Bruce is starting to hulk out. He's going a little crazy, breathing heavily when he does finally turn to her. Uh, we are starting to see green splotches showing up on his skin. And so we're really getting this place of kind of sorting out this whole thing between these uh, these two and, and particularly like how to handle Bruce, especially for Natasha, who we know she is human. She is somebody who could really get uh, hurt from this big guy. Well, I really like this this transformation. I love Hulk transformations. Let me tell you, I just every time it happens in the comics or in the TV shows of the past, the cartoons or live action, and then in this one too, uh, it it's always interesting to see how they um, have their sense of drama surrounding it. And of course, having Natasha pinned is the perfect way uh, to 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 just heighten that tension. Not that she could do anything about it if she weren't pinned, but uh, <laughs> it's just the fact that she is pinned makes it even more dramatic. <laughs> well, what's interesting is, it, I, I guess I'm really curious because he clearly is fighting it. He's dealing with whatever he has to do. I, I'm assuming, I mean, we know he's always angry, so theoretically, he has some semblance of control. He can kind of determine, I'm angry enough, and now I want to let it out. They've been blown through a window from an explosion. So obviously, there is pain and there's a lot of issues that they're going through that likely makes it harder to control that rage. But what's interesting is, like, he seems to be really actually fighting it. And then she's piping up and talking. Is it the things that she's saying do you think that kind of pushes him over the edge? Because we got this thing where she says, I swear on my life, I'll get you out of this. You walk away and never ever. And he growls at her and he says, your life. And that seems to be kind of the breaking point is, I mean, how do you two read this? Is that, does it, does that make sense? I find this a, a, a bit of a strange exchange. I'm not entirely sure what to what to think about it because what is Hulk referring to? Is is he referring to her life versus his life, which is in his perspective sort of cursed with this other guy? Because his life is indestructible, right? Like he's not going anywhere. She's the one at risk, right? And I'm not so I'm I'm not entirely sure how this was intended, how it was written. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Curtis? Well, I have to admit that I didn't watch the, you know, the, the previous conversation. Like, I didn't rewatch this whole movie leading up to this podcast. So I am a little bit fuzzy on past conversations that they may have had earlier in this movie. But I got the sense that this was referencing something earlier. And it, maybe you can correct me if I'm if I'm missing something there. Well, there definitely was the, like, before that explosion happened, when Clint and his team arrived and he shoots his arrow that blows up Engine 3, we had had that um, 
perhaps largely because the the mind stone and the scepter was influencing all of them but there was that large fight between everybody and there was a lot of it uh you know the points specifically between uh bruce and natasha focused on the fact that you know she was trying to get him out of there hey do you think it's a good idea to maybe leave this place so you're not triggered and he's getting upset at her because she's always babying him and he's like i was perfectly fine in calcutta with my life before you came and interrupted everything yeah so and that's that's what I got from that is like, yeah, um, I swear on my life. And Bruce is like, your life. It This is my li- I'm only here in this situation because you got me here. Yeah. Uh, what I love about this conversation here is the that Natasha is trying to convince Hulk to remain calm by. Uh, by pumping him up, by saying, you can do this, you can fight it, give it everything you got, which is a direct <laughs> reversal from what we see in Avengers 2, when the way she knows now how to calm him down by saying, you know, yeah. the sun's going down or whatever it is that she's always <laughs> saying, um, getting, getting real low. And, uh, yeah, right. Well, which is which is exactly what we've learned from past uh, iterations of Hulk, right? Whether it's Norton or Vanna, their way to calm themselves is through like peaceful meditation, yeah. not from somebody encouraging them strongly yeah. to be calm, <laughs> uh, right? Aggressive calm, toxic, toxic calm. Um, I there, there's one other thing I just want to shout out on this is that this is the first time we see Ruffalo's body capture in the character of Hulk, right? Like we've seen him sort of. Uh, emote rage earlier in the film, but this is the first time we get to see him do a transformation, yeah. right? As a as an actor, and uh, I, I think it's I, I really love it. Like I love the way he uses his body as Hulk and the way he is captured as Hulk. And I think he is one of those actors, you know, like Andy Circus, that has really uh, been able to adapt to motion capture performance. And um, you know, I'm reading a lot of interviews with him and watching him act in the in the uh, behind the scenes footage is is always a real delight because he does know how to act in a bubble and make it believable so that when it's transferred to bits and and you know giant green rage monster on screen it still feels like mark ruffalo doing that performance and i think that's that's a pretty special thing to be able to do i will say though that i find this cg in, in this scene that they don't quite nail the the weight of the character as he's throwing himself around the room. Uh, there are some parts where it just feels like it's a little bit more ragdoll than it should be. And that's just kind of a nature of trying to animate a human yeah. character. It's just, it's hard. And, uh, it, you know, the, the later movies definitely get better at this point of, the, of, the, of uh, CG history. Uh, during this movie is pretty good, but there's still those few moments where it's a little bit off. Still some growing to do. Yeah, I think to that point, like it's it's almost not like uh, I have I, I don't know, I have might have less of a problem with the way his body, it, like his CG of the body reacts. But the rest of the environment, I don't believe the interactions between his body and the rest of the environment. That's around what him. it like is. That's stuff that yeah. crumples. And that's what I mean by his weight. He's supposed to be, especially yeah. as Hulk or turning into Hulk, very, very heavy. But the way he moves, he, it's just he's bouncing around kind of uh, very light. Yeah. Uh, although I, uh, one moment that I, I always, um, I don't know, I just I think that it's I like the way that it plays. It 
I mean, there's an element of it where it does look a little um, artificial, but I love the way as he's slowly starting to like first transform and he, his body, like he's just like in, in kind of a throw of, he just, he's like moving. He's just, you know, shuffling and he actually like shuffles himself right off the ledge. Um, there's something about that, that, uh, I mean, when he lands, he definitely doesn't look like he's actually part of the space there. Um, he definitely looks CG, but just the, the way that it plays, like the choreography of the movement, movement, I actually like quite a bit. I also think it's really funny. He lands on, um, there's typing or there's like, a uh, you know, uh, painted, uh, markings on the floor that says warning contents under pressure. And I just, I love that. Yep. It's, it's a blinking, you miss it joke. Like you can't even see it. If you're, if you're watching it just straight through, you have to pause to see that joke. So funny. I love it. You're welcome, movie by minute universe. <laughs> sometimes, I sometimes do, it wins. There, there is a there is a, a connection. I I have speaking of about his sort of physicality that you know I, I spent some time on a bison ranch for a, a photography project some years back, and one of the interesting things about bison they're giant, they're all muscle, and they when they're moving they have the energy of a puppy. And there is a thing about seeing a 1,500-pound animal bouncing across the plains that feels like that. I'm standing there looking at it, and it feels CG. It feels like it should not exist hmm. in the way that it exists. <laughs> and that's kind of the vibe I get from—and and I have to rewire my brain a little bit. Like, this feels like it should not exist. But if I think about it as a giant buffalo in the middle of this helicarrier, somehow it, it starts to make sense again. Like, he's a little bit lighter on his feet than you would ever expect him to be. You know, to the credit of the animators, maybe they were looking at Buffalo when they made the Hulk. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily make it more believable if it, you know if you don't have that reference point. But right. it, it is it is kind of an experience I I can I can conjure a, a comp. It is worth pointing out, just as you as you mentioned, Pete, that this is really the first time where they had the actor doing so much of the actual motion capture work and and being a part of it to kind of create the version of Hulk. It's not just like a, a straight up CG creation like we got in mm-hmm. um, Ang Lee's or, or what they were doing in uh, The Incredible Hulk. Like this, there really was a lot more uh, of that actual work and Mark Ruffalo wanted to really be a part of that. So that was a valuable addition to kind of creating this Hulk. And, and they may not always make it fitting into its environment as effectively as we'd want it to. But I, I do think that there is a level of Ruffalo being involved that um, makes it uh, like makes me buy this character. Like I, I like the way that Hulk plays here. Oh, totally. And I mean, you also get these moments like, I mean, you talk, you kind of joked about it at the end of our last minute, but uh, you know, we've got that moment as she's calling to him and you get this close up of his face as he turns and looks at her. And it's like, he's half transformed, but definitely green. And you still have those Bruce Banner eyes kind of in the Hulk body, the Hulk face of this close up. And it's like that last look of Bruce before he fully becomes Hulk. And I find that that's such a um, kind of a touching moment as if he's uh, he doesn't say anything, but it's almost like he is acknowledging, I'm sorry for what's about to happen because I'm not going to be here anymore. I don't know. I love that shot. Well, and that's, I think, such a performative gem, right, that that's that is the capture of the artist maintaining the 
the sort of humanizing features of Ruffalo inside this almost totally green transformed Hulk that it's it that we can still see that in mostly bits on the screen is is pretty special. And we don't get quite the full transformation, but he certainly is going through the process here. He his shirt rips off. There's the uh, the iconic, uh, it, although it's the purple shirt, not purple shorts, but still he rips the purple shirt off. Uh, fantastically, the the pants, of course, still fit um, because you know they're stretchy. Apparently, I, I'm sure that I'm sure we learned that in the last film. I'm sure that this Hulk is still wearing stretchy stretchy enough pants. <laughs> So one thing that they really focus on in the the previous minute and at the beginning of this minute, when Hulk is down on the ground, he's wearing a watch on his left arm. And I'm like, that watch is going to pop off. But we never see it pop off. <laughs> yeah, true, true. We we have him fiddling with it even like the, it's it's been called out a number of times because there's the conversation with Steve, him and Tony in the wishbone lab. And he, I can't remember if he takes it off, but he's playing with the strap. So it's it's weirdly something that's been brought up. But yeah, when he at about 30 seconds, when he leans back in pain, the watch is gone. It is no longer on his wrist. The watch is already gone. Like, oh, man, missed opportunity there. Yeah. <laughs> and wouldn't it have I think it would have been really cool because I think at this early stage, Disney kind of went out of their way or Marvel went out of their way to not connect the old that the previous Hulk movie with this new Mark Ruffalo Hulk. But it would have been cool if that watch was actually the heart rate monitor that Ed Norton wore through the other movie. That would have been nice. That would have been very nice. That would have been fantastic. It's interesting. They've done. Uh, they've done their work to connect that movie with so many other facets, whether it's William Hurt coming in or now, as we've learned, you know, we're going to be getting um, Liv Tyler coming back. And uh, it turns out Liv Tyler was the heart rate monitor. All along. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's interesting that like there are so many other elements that there. Uh, Blonsky absolutely is another one, but they're not the, it, when it comes to Hulk himself, they're like. Let's try to make people forget that there was a change in actors there. The yeah. rest of it's fine, yeah. but we don't need well, them to remember that. They made one reference to that in the She-Hulk TV series. when Yeah. Because uh, Hulk says, like, you can't blame me for that. I was a completely different person then. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, of all of them, the perfect property to have made that meta yeah. reference in. Definitely. So good. So good. So you mentioned kind of your joy with all the Hulk transformations in the the various iterations. They very specifically wanted this Hulk to always be the same size. I know that was something that has changed in the Hulk comics. And certainly like in the Ang Lee Hulk, he definitely the angrier he gets, the bigger he gets. I think he was just a bigger Hulk in The Incredible Hulk. I don't think he was necessarily changing size. Um, but bigger than this Hulk, like taller. What's, what's your preference with Hulk? Do you like him changing sizes? Do you like the size of this Hulk? Like, how does how does that play for you? Because it's definitely something that they've done a lot in varying ways over the course of the character. I think if they're going to lean into the horror aspect of the character, this needs to be a bigger, like larger than life character. Uh, he, I, I like it when the Hulk is towering above everybody. He doesn't need to be like a Godzilla or a King Kong type of uh, of a character but definitely taller than all of the avengers when he first appeared in the comics uh way back in 1962 he was just like 
normal person size, but but a Hulk, like a monster type of a look. And like that's it, it when you couple that with the rage, sure, that's kind of scary, but it's much scarier if this Hulk is like towering over everybody else. Yeah, there's a bit of that that, you know, the. I I feel like I can let go of the weird physics of of Hulk because there's so much of that Jekyll and Hyde like horror energy to it, and and it it makes the the just sort of towering giantess of Hulk that much more threatening. I I love it, and and lest I say it one more time, it is why I Professor Hulk in our current state is so frustrating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, there are elements that I like in those other ones. Like I, there's something I really like in Ang Lee's Hulk, where when he's the huge, huge Hulk and he's on the streets of San Francisco, and and Betty calms him down, and we see him shrink down back to uh, Bruce. The amount of like sweat and water that kind of pours out, I just I find that to be something that I don't know. It's just it's a really compelling moment in that film that I I actually like in kind of that exploration of how they did the Hulk there. But the size changing always it, it was never one of my favorite things. I felt like it was just it was just a little weird. The fact that the angrier he gets, the bigger he gets. But I do like that he's bigger, and I think that this Hulk ends up being. Uh, being a pretty good size, I'm pretty happy with what we get here, and and it works well when he's going up against people like Thor. Like we'll see, you know, in a few minutes from now, when the two of them are fighting, and when Thor is trying to hold his, uh, you know, keep uh, Hulk from crushing him, and you can just see the size difference between Hulk's arm and Thor. Like moments like that, I think, do a great job of emphasizing that the difference. Yeah, it's one of those sacrifices we have to make because of you know, the size difference in the comics. Like, that's one where it feels like they're allegiant to the comic, like, hero panels of of the Hulk in a way that's super satisfying and still, because of Mark Ruffalo, it's grounded to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we going to talk about the medical team that comes running up to them at one point and Black, Black Widow kind of shoes them away? <laughs> <laughs> that's her read-the-room move. <laughs> we are two, our two maintenance guys. Hey, they don't know. He's just a professor and, and one of their spies here. They just want to help out. Um, but yeah, we have our the two maintenance people come up. And I did want to talk about our maintenance guy, Josh Cowdery, uh, and play the IMDb game with the two of you for I Josh, who, who is not necessarily a, a, um, a big part here, but is certainly somebody who is been keeping busy out there can hardly see their faces how do i That's know true. what uh, this is going to be the hardest imdb game ever i know it's nigh impossible to get a good look at at them because they run up which, and quickly run which out. one is which one is the first one that we're talking about is well we're just talking about one because there's, there's only one who's credited and he is and we don't even when he says his line, they're not even on screen. But I believe he is the one in the back, the the uh, blonde haired one. Blonde. Okay. I assumed that that line was added in ADR, and that the person credited is the voice, but not necessarily those actors on screen, because those actors on screen could just be extras. Mm. Which is also entirely possible. Yeah, it's hard to say. I would imagine since Josh Cowdery is enough of a credited actor who's done plenty of work that he would likely, who's also done some voice work, that he would likely uh, hop into IMDb and make note that he was just the voice performer. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, maybe. But 
Yeah, but when I look at him, I can I, I can kind of get a sense that okay, if there's one bit of the two of these guys, he's the one in the back. But it's also a little difficult to tell completely. But my my hunch is he's the guy in the back. Okay. Do either of you have any ideas to what Josh Cowdery, without looking at IMDb, what IMDb would say are his known fours? Is he a face that either of you know at all? Not at not God, at all. This is gonna this is gonna be an embarrassment. I already feel like you're setting us up. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily, um, but he is in things where he's had bigger parts than this. Not necessarily big parts, but bigger parts. Uh, the first one is Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, in which he plays uh, he plays Henry Shaw Jr. or Senator Shaw. So he is uh, in that film as as somebody. <laughs> he of was prominence. present. He was president. I have no idea <laughs> who he was in Fantastic Beasts. No idea. He was in Guy Ritchie's film Wrath of Man, which we actually talked about over in the film board, another yeah, of our shows, um, in 2021. He plays uh, FBI agent Hubbard. Okay. He is in two episodes of a TV show I'm not familiar with at all called Fate the Winx Saga. Are either of you familiar with that show? A Nickelodeon show? Oh, It's about no. fairies. And it's, there's an animated version and a live-action version, so I don't know which one this is, though. He's in the live-action version. And it's actually, it looks like it's a Netflix original series. Um, uh, oh, it's a live-action a- live adaptation of Nickelodeon's Winx Club. There you um, go, yeah. So that's, that's the one that he is in. With two episodes as uh, Mike Peters. And last but not least, he was in the TV series Mars for National Geographic. Uh, he plays Chris Owens. I'm not sure who. I'm not sure what that show is about. The first manned mission from Earth to Mars in 2033 attempts to colonize the Red Planet, and so he is just an actor in that show. <laughs> One of the episodes of at least twelve. So, not a big part. Anyway, that's Josh Cowdery. You know, he's <laughs> he's you know working, working actor trying to get parts and actor. doing stuff like this. So, kudos. Yeah, Josh. Got, I mean, that's that's certainly some non-trivial credits. Maybe. You know, in the spirit of no small parts, they might be small parts, but <laughs> big names. <laughs> certainly, certainly. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those are our two maintenance guys. Uh, we're going to see more maintenance people in the coming minutes. Um, yeah. Any any last thoughts about this minute from either of you? Uh, I've got no other comments other than it's a it's a great transformation. It's a it's a really good minute, and I wish that I was talking about the next minute as well, because uh, <laughs> continuing on the full, fully realizing that the transformation is pretty cool. Well, okay, so you said you love these transformations. Do you have a ranking of like okay, let's say what what is the first transformation we see in the Incredible Hulk? Is it in it's in the Brazilian bottling plant, right? But I'm, I don't know if we see the transformation. I just think. He is just Hulk in the shadows there, right? That one is really cool. Yeah, because he's in the shadows and it's just an unknown force that you can't see uh, before they really want to give you the big reveal of the of the of the the look of the character. Yeah, right, right, right. This one is right up there because also it's in the shadows and uh, uh, especially in the next minute when we'll see. I don't want to spoil <laughs> for whoever's hosting that one, but um, there's just some great reveals in that one. Lots of good moments with his transformation. Well, this is a good place to stop. Um, we are going to be back with you uh, in a, a few weeks to talk about minutes 88 and 89. So we certainly look forward to that. Um, but thanks for joining us uh, for yesterday and today. We certainly appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm always happy to to be a part of this. It's a lot of fun. Tell everybody again about your podcast and where they can track it down. 
Sure, yeah. Head over to epicmarvelpodcast.com and you can hear a bunch of episodes of me talking about old Marvel comics. I've also got a bunch of interviews with comic creators up there as well. Uh, you can find me also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and uh, even Substack if you just search for my name or if you look for Epic Marvel Podcast. And if you love Marvel's Epic Collections, then search for Epic Collections on Facebook and you'll find my Facebook group where we just talk about those Epic Collections all day, every day. That is amazing. That's awesome. Uh, you are everywhere doing that. And uh, that is just uh, fantastic. There's so much content. So Yeah, there is. Well, we appreciate it. We'll be back, as I said, in a few weeks. Uh, so that's it for today. We'll be back uh, next week with another guest for Minute 76. Uh, until then, Pete, thanks as always. Tomorrow, it's a helicarrier parkour party. <laughs> until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>